Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. You guys doing well this morning? Everybody excited to be at church? I see the people not clapping. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, it's good to have you here today. We're continuing a series called Red Flags, and we'll get, kind of get into that in, some, in just a minute. But I first got to ask a question. How many of you would raise your hand and say that you enjoy swimming in the ocean? You think that that's a good calculated risk to make? You, you enjoy it. So I just want to take a look at all the crazy people for just a moment. So... Um, how many of you are more like me and you think it's ridiculous and you don't think it's worth the risk of what lurks beneath and you, you're not a big fan of swimming in the ocean? Okay, so uh, I kind of fall into the second category. It's not that I'm scared, it's that I'm concerned. Uh, and my wife falls into the first category. She thinks she is a mermaid and so... <laughs> Anytime we're anywhere near the ocean, that's what she wants to do, and I have many times caved in and said, okay, we'll go snorkeling, we'll go do that, but I'm not going to enjoy it, just so you know. I'm going to be tense the entire time because there's programs like Shark Week that happen once a week, and I watch those things, and I pay attention, and so anytime I'm in the ocean, my, my eyes are on the surface just looking for a dorsal fin, like that's, that's and I'm, I'm not... I wish I were exaggerating, I'm not. Uh, and so a, f a few years ago, we were in uh, Mexico, and Amanda, I knew that she wanted to go snorkeling, but she wasn't going to push. And, but I was like, you know, it's fine. We, we'll go snorkeling. I've done it before. It's fine. I'll do those things. I just, I'm not going to enjoy it, but I'll do it. And so uh, we saw this, this guy that was taking people out to the reef, uh, you know, like about a quarter mile offshore, and on this little tiny boat, and so we, we, we decided we're going to go. And they, they round up a bunch of other people because, you know, if you're going to die in the ocean, might as well be with strangers. <laughs> and so we go out there, and we're in this group, and they, they uh, on our way out to the reef, I asked the captain, I don't even know if you would call it that, but I asked the guide, uh, are, there, are there a lot of sharks around this area? Have you ever seen any? Now, the answer I was hoping for was this is the safest part of the ocean. In fact, we've never seen a shark in this particular area of the ocean. You're going to be totally fine, but that's not what he said. He said, uh, not, not, not that often. I mean, he, th that was his way of trying to, to calm my, my uh, fears a little bit, and uh, that was not what I wanted to hear. And so we get out to this area, and they, they say, jump in and put your you know, flippers on, all that stuff. So we're kind of getting all situated. And as I'm kind of doing that, I felt something graze the back of my leg. And I immediately turn, I'm looking for the dorsal fin, I see nothing, but I do see my wife laughing hysterically. <laughs> she decided that that would be a good time to rub her flipper <laughs> on the back of my leg. I'm like, this is not going well. I'm never going to do this again. And so, so we ended up going, and I, I just figured I'm going to follow right behind the guide. You know, like, I figure if there's a great white shark, he's going to be the first to see it, and I'll be the second to see it, and we'll get out of there. So I follow right behind him. Admittedly, it is beautiful, and it's, you know, it, 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 it's not that bad, but I'm a little tense the entire time. And so at one point, Pretty early on in the swim, in the snorkel, whatever you call it, uh, he, the, the guide, I can see underwater, and he, he turns to the group and goes like this. 
I'm like, that is code for there is an entire group of hammerhead sharks. That, that's got to mean what that, that, I can't imagine what else that could mean. And so he turns around and starts swimming the other way, and we follow. But I was a little slow to like, what are we talking, I, I at least want to, I want to, I don't want to just turn my back to a shark. So what are we talking about here? And this fish about this long looked like a northern pike. And it just comes swimming right towards me, about 15 feet away. I'm like, okay, if, is that why we're turning? So anyway, we turn around, and then, and then later, I asked the guide, I'm like, what was the deal with that? What did that mean? And he's like, oh, it was a barracuda. Are we in the Amazon River? Like, what are we, a barracuda? I didn't even know that that was a possibility at the time. And, and, and so I'm kind of like, so I, I'm lucky to be standing here right now. That, that's what you're telling me? And Amanda's like, you're overreacting. They can't do anything. I'm like, okay, I'm going to Wikipedia this. Here's what Wikipedia says about barracudas. I read this paragraph to her. Barracudas are ferocious, opportunistic predators relying on surprise and short bursts of speed up to 27 miles per hour to overtake their prey. Some species of barracuda are reputed, which this happens then, to be dangerous to swimmers. Barracudas are scavengers and may mistake snorkelers for large predators. In other words, I should be dead right now. That's Now, if you take a barracuda and increase the size of a barracuda by about 200, you start to get a picture of a great white shark, okay? So, in other words, going in the ocean is just not a good plan. It's not fun. It's tense. And so, yes, I, I get a little concerned when I go into the ocean. And I'll still do it because I'm like, my kids like, you know, all of that. I got to, you know, at least pretend that I'm the man of the house every once in a while. So I, I got to at least pretend, but I, man, I don't enjoy it. And I take precautions before going in. I ask the guide questions. I look for dorsal fins. I'm making sure, I'm not just going to just do a cannonball into an area that uh, is not been checked out first. Now, admittedly, the, the odds of getting attacked by a shark are very, very low. I don't think low enough, but uh, <laughs> 1 in 11.5 million is the chance of getting bit by a shark, which is 0.000000009% chance. Uh, then you have a 1 in 246 million chance of getting killed by a shark. It's, okay, so like I have about the same odds of becoming president uh, as getting killed by a shark, but what if a new study came out that said 50% of swimmers in the ocean will get attacked by a shark at some point in their life? Raise a hand. Who would go in the ocean if that study came out and said 50% of the... T so we, there are still some crazies out there. Uh, my wife might be one of them. She made about well, 50%. I, you know, I can take, take the odds on that. But... Uh, if a new study came out and said 50% of, of, of swimmers will get attacked by a shark at some point in their life, you would not go near the ocean. And if you did, you would be in a cage, right? You would be like making sure that nothing can happen. And yet relationally, I'm going somewhere with this, I, I say all the shark attack stuff to get to relationships, but relationally, statistically, you have a 50% chance, according to, to studies that have been done, I just read one out of a book called Sexual Detours by Holly Hines, and she said that 50% of marriages in the U.S. will not make it to year 15. They'll end in divorce prior to year 15. And you've heard statistics like that 
before, and they're not hyperbolic. That's really what the, the odds are of making it in a marital relationship. And yet, we know those odds, but so often I see, and I, I've done wedding ceremonies before, and if I've done your wedding, I'm not talking about you, but I have seen many times that couples just jump right in, and they don't really consider, uh, and again, you don't jump into marriage, you know, thinking it's going to be scary like a shark attack. That's not, I'm not making that, that, <laughs> I'm not making that comparison. But you don't take the proper precautions. Just kind of go into it casually and think, eh, you'll, we'll see what happens. And so this series that we're doing, we're doing a series like this specifically because it's the most important relationship outside of your relationship with Christ is who you're going to marry. And it's so vital. It can be such a make or break decision that we should enter into that decision eyes wide open, making sure that we've really considered what it is that we're doing and we're not just overcome by, you know, the warm, fuzzy feelings. And so today, well, just to back up for a second, last week, Pastor Aaron talked about the concept of you complete me, how we actually cannot be completed in anybody else but Jesus Christ. And so if you missed that message, that's kind of like the, the foundational building block of this entire series is that we have to get that part of it right. But today I want to talk to you about what are some warning signs, what are some red flags, that's a series that we're in, when it comes to choosing your spouse. And so it, it, people in this room, I know that we're all over the board, so it, there's people in this room that are not married but wish to become married someday. I'm telling you, this message, out of any of the messages in this series, this message is specifically designed for you. But if you're married, that doesn't mean that you can just go do your, you know, Walmart grocery pickup list right now. Uh, that means, let, let me give you a couple things, because I believe if you're married in this room, there's two different lenses that you could see this message through. Number one, uh, we're talking about who is the spouse that you should look for. You can inter interpret that as who should I be as a spouse. So you can go through that lens. The second lens is if you have kids that are not yet married, you're eventually at some point, hopefully, going to help guide them through that process. Now again, they may not want you in, that, <laughs> in the middle of that process, but parenting doesn't stop until they're grown. You know, they're, they're out of the house, and even then, you know that it doesn't stop then, right? And so how do you help lead and guide and help lead them towards what that spouse looks like? You can view this message through that lens. And so I want, I'm going to ask five questions today, and these five questions are meant to be clarifying towards who to choose as a spouse. The first one, if you're taking notes, does the person you have your eyes on have their eyes on Jesus? Does the person you have your eyes on have their eyes on Jesus? According to scripture, we are not to marry somebody, if we're a Christ follower, we're not to marry somebody who's not a Christ follower. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That, that phrase, unequally yoked, it's an it's a, it's a agricultural term. There's a yoke, a bar that goes between two oxen, and so they would find two oxen that have the same strength level so that uh, you know, one oxen wasn't stronger than the other and they would just go in circles. That's, kind of, that's what Paul's getting at. He says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? The question is, what are their priorities? The person that you have your eyes on, what are their priorities? Many marriages that don't last, don't last because of misaligned priorities. 
they're not on the same page at all, specifically when it comes to the relationship with Christ. And if somebody can't make Jesus number one while you're dating, I'm just telling you, it's not any easier in marriage. Because what often happens is that we, we create a list of priorities. We go into any relationship with, with a list of priorities. And in marriage, those priorities seem to be more numerous. So it, it, kids are on the list. And there's often times where people become kid-centric in their relationship and everything revolves around kids. And then there's your job and trying to you know, build a career, especially early on, that can be a huge driver. And it's not a bad thing, but it's another priority that, that takes part of your time and energy. There's yourself, there's hobbies and things that, that may, uh, you know, take time away. There's your spouse that you want to make sure that they're, you know, a, a high priority on your list. And then somewhere on that list is God, and I'm going to make sure that I go to church and all of those things. And, and you have this list of priorities, and then you go to God and say, God, would you bless my list? Just kind of like, would you have your hand on my list of priorities? And God is saying, no, I don't want to be a number on your list. I want, I want to help drive that list. I want to be at the very top of that list. The Bible says that he will have no other gods before him. Another verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. We have to get that first priority Right. Anytime God is not number one, the number one priority, the relationship is at massive risk of not working. Why? Because there's so many things in life that all go back to our spiritual walk, to our walk with Christ. How we raise our kids is heavily influenced by scripture. How we, you know, what we do with finances. You know, they say money is one of the number one things that drives people apart in marriage. If you don't have a biblical stance on what you do financially, it's going to be extremely difficult. And so, does the person you have your eyes on have their eyes on Jesus? That is absolutely, if you hear anything I say today, that's, that, that's absolutely the number one thing. Second question, do those you love love who you're dating? Do those you love love who you're dating? Now, for me, I, uh, Amanda and I, my wife, we went to high school together, but we never dated in high school. We were good friends. A couple times I asked to be more than friends. That did not go well, and so we remained <laughs> just friends, and, which was great. I mean, we were part of the same friend group. We were genuinely very good friends in high school. And so, but my mom knew, like, she would kind of give me a hard time every once in a while. She kind of knew that I had my eye on Amanda, and maybe someday, if I played my cards right, it would be a more than friends type of a thing. And so, I had a bunch of friends over, Amanda was there, and unbeknownst to me, my mom proceeded to go to Amanda and ask her if she would go to prom with me. <laughs> Amanda already had a date for prom. And so uh, she had to turn that down. But I say all that, and again, I had to tell my mom, like, what are you thinking? What is happening? What? You had like an out-of-body experience. You just start asking people to prom on my behalf. I don't, you know, so anyway. But I say all that to say, my, my mom, my dad, my siblings, my, my friends, all of them thought, man, you, Amanda, especially when we started dating, she, I don't know how you got Amanda, but she is awesome. And so there were so many people in my life that were affirming 
in that. I remember my grandpa, when he met Amanda for the first time, he wasn't one that gave a lot of compliments, but I'll never forget what he said because it was like the most sincere compliment. And he just said, you know, Amanda, you have a very pleasant disposition. (laughs) And we all just kind of laughed a little bit about it, but it was like that, it was my grandpa's way of saying, Ryan, well done. Do those that you love, love who you're dating? Because you may not see blind spots in the person that you're dating, but I guarantee you those around you, they'll see them if they're there. And it is wise. According to scripture, there's a couple of verses I want to share, but Proverbs chapter 27 verse 9 says, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. And then Proverbs chapter 12 verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. You may not see any red flags in the person that you're wanting to become your spouse, but the people that you love and trust the most, if there are red flags, uh, they're going to help point those out. And that can be a very vulnerable, scary thing to do because you may not ask because you, you may subconsciously know that there's red flags there, but you don't want But I'm just telling you, if you want to go into marriage best prepared, then you got to ask those around you, hey, what do you think? You know, asking, maybe it's a parent or maybe it's a brother or sister or a friend or a spiritual leader of some kind. Hey, what do you think? And they'll give you some feedback. And hopefully it's like, you know, my, you know in my case, they were like, Ryan, lock this thing up because you've outpunted your coverage on this one. You know, or what? And, and that was hugely affirming to me knowing like, okay, I think this, I'm on the right track then. If my parents approve and my family and friends approve, I'm on the right track. Do those you love, love who you're dating. Third thing, do you experience healthy conflict? Do you experience healthy conflict? And all the married people in here could give you some really good advice today that uh, is simply this, you will experience conflict. Am I breaking any news today? Now, oftentimes, though, you don't experience a ton of it until marriage, And so I'm not saying that you should go pick a fight before marriage to kind of test the waters on like, hey, how's this going to go? But I'm just telling you, a lot of times you don't get a chance to know what that that conflict even looks like. You you may on a small scale, but oftentimes you you may not until you get into it. And so the question is, uh, you know, it's not so much will couples fight, will couples have a rough patch or a, a disagreement here or there, but how do you go about it? How do you fight? How we handle conflict will absolutely make or break a relationship. Most couples don't do this well. And they don't do it well for a few different reasons. Uh, One reason may be that they are looking for sameness rather than oneness. And what I mean by that is they're looking for, like, you should see this exactly the same way (laughs) that I see it. Instead of saying, no, 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 there may be some nuance there, there may be, there may be some differences, but we're not looking for, to have the exact same opinion, we're looking for unity. That we can even have disagreements, but still be one together. Or they think that ignoring a, a problem is a solution. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just going to just, I'm just going to shut my mouth on that one and just move on because it's just not worth it. And I remember last time I touched that stove, it was hot, I'm not going to do it again. You know, it's kind of that type of thing. And so they just ignore it or, or they fight for victory, not resolution. Like, I'm going to win this fight rather than I'm going to, we're going to find resolution in this. Or, or they pick little battles that are just not worth it you know, like l- just little nitpicky things or, or they, they, they go into the mental file cabinet 
and they pull out a file from five years ago and, and, and bring it back up and, you know, or whatever it may be. There's a lot of reasons and we could spend, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about this in the weeks to come. But the question is not if you will fight, it is how you will fight. James chapter 1 says it like this in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's good advice. Saying be quick to hear, really listening, asking clarifying questions, seeking to understand, not just to be understood. Be slow to speak. Man, how many times has that gotten you in trouble, wives and husbands, that you're quick to speak. Don't interrupt, breathe, take a deep breath, be comfortable with a little bit of silence. But then the last part, be slow to anger. Don't overreact, speak with gentleness, find resolution. Do you experience healthy conflict? Fourth thing, do you find it difficult to trust the one you're with? Do you find it difficult to trust the one you're with? If you can't trust now while you're in the, in, in the you know, pre-marriage phase, it's gonna, not going to be any more easy when you're in the marriage phase. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Paul gives some advice here that on the surface seems almost difficult to understand and difficult to attain. He says, love always protects. It always trusts. That's kind of the key there. Always trusts. Always hopes and always perseveres. Now, when I read that, I, I think to myself, Paul, another version says, believes all things. So I'm supposed to trust and just have this blind trust and just believe everything no matter what. What if I have evidence to the contrary? What if there's evidence that I, maybe I shouldn't be trustworthy in that case? I have a tough time with that verse. But Paul, I don't think, is saying that you should just blindly trust no matter what. Think what he's getting at, and, and really, if you read the entire chapter, it kind of gives a little bit more context, but he's, what he's getting at is that there will always be a gap, and we could spend a, a lot of time on this, uh, but there's always going to be a gap between your expectations and reality in any relationship. I mean, it could be, even in parenting, this applies, but in any relationship, there's going to be a gap between expectations and reality. And this always trust part comes down to what do I do with that gap? Let me give you an example. So, uh, you know, he says that he's going to be home at 5.30. And it's 6 o'clock, and I haven't heard from him. And so, assuming the worst would say, oh, man, he's always late. I'm just telling you, he, he probably got a flat tire again because I told him he needs to get new tires. And, you know, or what? you could fill in the gap with any sort of assuming the worst. It's not giving the benefit of the doubt. It's just saying, man, it's just, this is always how he is. Assuming, assuming the worst, that's what that looks like. Believing the best says, I'm going to choose to believe the best. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know why I haven't heard in the last half hour, but I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt that there's a good reason. That's what believing the best looks like. That's what truly trusting someone else looks like. It's what do you do with the gap between expectation and reality? And if you're dating somebody right now, I would ask you the question, where, do, where does your mind go when there's a gap in expectation and reality? Do you immediately go to assuming the worst? I'm just telling you, if you do that now, it doesn't get any easier in marriage. See, 
what you do with that gap has a, has a little bit to do with your spouse, but it actually has a lot to do with you. It has a lot to do with where you go and your outlook. Do you find it difficult to trust the one you're with? And the last one, are you closer to Jesus because you're dating them? Are you closer to Jesus because you're dating them? This one's similar to the first one. You know, do they have their eyes on Jesus, but it's a little bit different. Are you closer to Jesus? Are you closer to Jesus because you're dating them? Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 says, See that no one leads you astray. Since you started dating them, are you closer to Jesus or further away? So often, I can just tell you as a pastor, because there's, this is probably relationship, uh, marriage advice, th- those are, that's probably the number one thing that we get asked to sit down and have conversations and do pastoral counseling and things like that. It's, it's the number one thing. And so often what happens uh, is there is a drifting that happens. And it's not just that, that a couple drifts from, away from each other, but they drift away from God. Either one or both of the individuals in the relationship drift away from God. And as you drift away from God, you drift away from each other. And so you point the finger at your, your, your significant other, your spouse, whatever, and you just say, man, that's, it's your fault that we're growing. You're drifting away. I, I'm right here the whole time. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about you're drifting away from God. Some red flags would be that if you start dating somebody and you stop going to church, or you start dating somebody and you cut out important people in your life. Or you start dating somebody and you begin to compromise sexually. We're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But Proverbs chapter 27 verse 12 says, Sensible people will see trouble. They will see trouble coming and avoid it. But an unthinking person will walk right into it and regret it later. In other words, going back to my initial analogy <laughs> Unthinking people will cannonball right into the shark-infested waters. Whoever you're dating should draw you closer to Jesus, not pull you further away from him. Now, I I debated all week on on how to wrap up this message, and honestly, even this morning was kind of like, I don't know how to tie a bow on this, really. But, you know, I just, I really sensed, and actually this morning, that felt inclined to, to talk just for a moment as we close out service, specifically to people that have experienced a lot of pain and disappointment in relationships. Because I know there's a lot of people that have become jaded in relationships. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, uh, honestly, if you really think about it, there's very few of us have probably actually seen a healthy marriage modeled before us. I mean, statistically, a lot of us have seen nothing but just dysfunction in that area. You know, we've seen a lot of divorce. And so when you, when you really ask the question, can someone really fall in love and stay in love, you're skeptical. You're kind of, never seen it happen. Or maybe you've experienced a lot of hurt and pain. In relationships, and so you're kind of just, ah, I just, I'm not even going to go there ever again. Or, or, or maybe you've given up on relationships altogether, or maybe 
uh, not just on relationships with other people, but it's impacted your relationship with Christ. And you've said, man, if, if, if this is what relationships look like, I don't even know if I want that. If you've ever been to a wedding, um, I bet they've read at least portions of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We just read one verse just a minute ago, but they've read part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to read four verses real quick. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Most of the time, this, these verses are read as prescriptive. They're read as kind of a, a checklist of, these are, this, is, this is what love looks like, that if you're really going to love somebody else, you really need to do these things well. You need to be patient. You need to be kind. You don't need to envy, boast, don't be proud. And it's kind of this, this to-do list. If I would just do these things better, I would have a better relationship. That's kind of how we look at these verses. But there's, there's a key in the, these verses that I think change the perspective a little bit. It's this word love. Now, in, and many of you know this, but in Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, there's six different words for love. And they all describe love very differently. And so there's eros, which is more of a romantic love. There's philia, which is more of a a brotherly love. There's six different types of love. We just say, I love my spouse and I love baseball, you know, and it's the exact same word, even though we know from context, very different, right? The word used here for love is the word agape, And agape is a love that is specifically meant to describe the kind of love that God has for us. It's not so much, it's not as meant to describe our relationship with each other, although it can, but it starts with what God, how God loves us. And I believe when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's saying this is the kind of love that God has for you. And the only way you're ever going to measure up to having this kind of love for somebody else is going to be God flowing through you to another person. It's never going to happen if you just try to, man, I'm just going to try a little harder. I'm just going to, man, I'm just going to, I I need to do this a little bit better. I'm just going to try harder this week. It's not that. It's saying, God, I need that love flowing through me. And you can't love somebody that way unless you've experienced it from God. That's what Paul is saying there. It's not prescriptive, it's descriptive of the love of God for us. And so today, if you're here and and maybe you just had a lot of hurt and pain when it comes to relationships and you're kind of just giving up altogether, rather than trying harder and trying to be the right person and, and, and kind of just take all this other advice just aside for just a moment, have you experienced the love of God for yourself? Have you truly let the love of God pour into your heart? Have you truly experienced uh, what, what, what Paul's getting at here is that we can't do this love. In fact, even, even several other places throughout scripture, the word agape is used. And it, every time you see the word agape, it's kind of like, okay, that means I can't do that on my own. That means that I need Jesus in order to do that. 
I need a savior. I, that, that, that's, that's an indicator I need to stop trying and I need to be transformed. That's, that's an indicator that that starts with Jesus. See, God wants our lives to be defined by something that we can't do on our own. And so have you experienced that kind of love? See, a relationship can't fill that void. And so often we go into it thinking, okay, it's kind of going back to last Sunday, the you complete me part. A relationship can't fill that void. That, a, that can't offer agape love. Only Jesus can offer that. And so maybe today the best thing that you can do is to simply let the love of God pour over you. And that can look a lot of different ways, but have you, have you just gotten aside? Maybe you just need to take time out from everything going on and just say, God, I, just, I don't know what this looks like, but your word says that you stand at the door of my heart and knock, and if I'll open the door, you'll come in and have relationship with me, that you'll eat with me and, and I with you. That's what your word says. And so today, the band in just a moment, they're, gonna, they're just going to play a song. And we do this most Sundays where we play a song at the end. And sometimes it's participatory. Sometimes it's more reflective. But the goal is to take, you know, whatever's been talked about, to really take a moment and reflect upon that. And maybe today you're just in a position where you just need to say, God, I need your love to pour over me. I need that agape love present in my life. So the band, as they play and sing today, just take a moment to do just that. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you for your love that you give us freely. We thank you for your agape love, which is a selfless kind of love that only you can offer. And I pray right now as we, many people in this room are, married or want to become married and and that relationship is such a reflection of you towards your church of you towards mankind and lord god i pray that we would never enter into that relationship apart from you trying to do it on our own trying to muster up the energy to love another person but that you've called us to be a conduit for your love i pray for single people in this room today that want to become married, I pray, Lord God, that you give them patience and peace and give them good discernment. Bring other godly people around them to help them discern in this time. And God, I pray for those who are married. Lord God, that we would know that you are the foundation of any strong, successful marriage, that it starts with you, that we would experience your agape love today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.